method and even certain of the context is a little bit beyond my normal, uh, you know, comfortable, comfortable range. But I have felt compelled in my heart to just kind of focus on this one particular area today. Now, oddly enough, oddly enough, now Joe's prayed a wonderful prayer on behalf of the Word of God. I'm a traditionalist in the sense that I value uh, a scripture text to open with and standing in honor of the reading of scripture. But today I do not have that. Oddly enough, come back to pulpit to preach. You're like, Pastor, you've been gone from preaching for four weeks and you can't even find a scripture text. I've got the scripture text, but I have hidden it about halfway down in the message today. But truly our heart must be prepared to receive the word of God. And so many things do swirl around us that cause us to be distracted. But the context that I'm sharing from today is very personal to many of you, and it will be unfolding in front of your eyes in just a few moments. And I just want to pray that the word will not return to the Father void today. I want to pray that that the things that are said and that are spoken are spoken out of purity of heart and are received in a heart that is ready to respond to the Word of God. So even though Joe has already prayed for just a brief moment, let's pray again quickly. Father, thank you for this opportunity. I feel privileged to be here and have this responsibility and yet opportunity. And I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that we will truly receive the Word of God, that there would be nothing to hinder or distract us, that, God, in my limitations, my limited vocabulary, my... Father, my, my lack of study in certain areas, all those things could be set aside and the rhema word of God would come forth and speak to the, the hearts and lives of men and women. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everybody said amen and amen. Now I want to first begin just real quickly by just drawing your attention to a common usage both in the secular world and also in the Christian community and our Christian language and, and, and lingo and phrases that we, that we extract out of Scripture and we, we, we kind of put. I want to deal with the context of the heart today for just a moment. And speaking of the heart, I'm not talking about the, you know, the organ in your chest that's, that's beating and sending blood throughout your body. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about the, the familiarity of how we use it in our common language. I've already referenced it several times because it's so woven into how we talk in the church. We talk about, you know, we want our hearts to be prepared for the Word of God. We want, you know, our, our thoughts and our imaginations. And just real quickly, as, as I was doing a, a word study on this, there in going back to the original language of the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, and also the New Testament, which was written in Greek, to just kind of see if I could extract a common uh, definition for us so that we're all just kind of on the same plane for just a few moments. In the Hebrew, uh, Strong's Concordance defines the word heart as the feelings or the will, the intellect, or the center. So not just the center of your chest, but the kind of at the, let's say, let's use this language. Well, let's get to the heart of the matter. Let's get to the center. Let's get right to it. And in the Greek, the Greek word is actually cardia, from which we would get our English equivalent of cardiac. And it is the thoughts, and it's the feelings, and it's the mind and the heart. So it's, it's kind of, and I know we've used this in, in a sense when we, when we say, well, well, you know, in biblical language, it's, it's for not just your mind, even though it involves your intellect. And it's not just, uh, you know, your thoughts here, but it's your 
your, your, your thoughts here. It's, it's, hard to dis, it's hard to define it always, and it's, it's kind of hard. It's kind of like spirit and soul. It's hard to always sever it, but, but I, just, I want you to think about our usage of the term for just a moment. Our heart can be, we can be merry of heart. We can be sad of heart. We can contemplate or meditate upon the word in our heart. We've thought about that. We've said things. The psalmist said, hide his word in our heart, and we will not sin against the Lord. We can, we can learn to rejoice in our heart. We're to have faith in our heart. You know, Romans 10 tells us about conversion. How does our conversion take place? Because we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, and then you'll be saved. And, and so you can, uh, Jesus said, to, he warned us about our heart because he said, out of your heart, sometimes your heart really reveals who you are, right? Because out of your heart can come evil thoughts. Adult, this is what Jesus said. He said, out of your heart can come this is taken from when Jesus uh, was kind of reproving his disciples about it's not what goes in you that defiles you, it's what comes out of you. You remember that passage of Scripture? Jesus said, out of your heart can come evil thoughts or adulteries. Remember, he even taught us about that because he said, you know, adultery is not just the physical act because you can be over here and the, uh, somebody over there, but in your heart, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? So, so you can expand upon this, this, uh, you know, this application. Adulteries or fornications or murders. You know, you can have resentment and bitterness in your heart that is to the equivalent of, um, in God's eyes, as if you had actually done in a physical act of violence on someone, right there in your heart, uh, or covetousness or blasphemy or pride or foolishness. I remember three weeks ago when Alicia preached, she referenced a proverb that in the book of Proverbs, it says the heart can be deceitful above all things. And so you have to learn to guard your heart. We often try to separate our heart and our mind with language like this. Have you ever thought about this? You say, my head, you're trying to make a decision about something. You're saying, my head is telling me to do one thing. Have you ever said that? You know, but then you'll say, but my heart is saying do something else. And so, it, it, it's something that it's, uh, what, what you were saying is, you were saying, my rational thinking in my head, rational, I looked at the facts, I looked at the statistics, I looked at the averages, and I arrived at the conclusion, I need to do this or that. That's my rational thinking. But your emotional thinking, your feelings, what was way deep down on the inside of you was thinking another direction. So, with, with that broad application, just to kind of allow you to see some of our usages of it in Scripture, which again, I only put you in that context to, so that you could think this way. It's our thoughts, our feelings, our thoughts and feelings and our emotions, kind of the essence at times of who we are. One of the things that my involvement in pastoral ministry these many years now uh, that I have noticed, one of the most difficult things in life for someone to recover from is a broken heart, a broken heart, a wound that is cut so deep, a wound that is much deeper than disappointment or discouragement or depression even. I'm talking about when something snaps inside someone, when they become wounded and they carry that wound for many, many years. You know, I can be disappointed with a situation 
and not have a broken heart. I can be disappointed with someone and not have a broken heart. Uh, I, can, I can be frustrated or I can go through even sorrow and loss in certain areas and not necessarily have had a broken heart about it. But a broken heart just seems to set somebody's path in a different direction. A broken heart just seems to cause somebody to be set aside, almost like the, the, the story of the, the, the Good Samaritan for just a moment of time. That man was on a journey one way when the thieves caught him and battered him and bruised him and left him laying and dying. And, and I, it seems to me along life's journey with somebody's heart gets truly broken. It's the result of a wound, an emotional, sometimes even a spiritual wound that they've received because of many different things that can happen. Listen, it is a tough life that we live in, in this world today. And there are some traumatic events that don't just happen on the newspaper or that we read about from across the oceans or we're watching on, on the news, but some events that can happen right in your own family that can just, just fragment your heart. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? Just cause you to, you know, I mean, whether it's a, a cut or a, an emotional cut, it can affect your entire being. Psalm 102 verse 4 says this, My heart is smitten and withered like grass so that I forget to eat my bread. In essence, think about that. When you have ever in your life been through a, se a season where you really felt like your heart was broken, I mean, I have watched people that, that just go through that season and, and they don't even want to eat. The smell of food, it almost causes them to be sick because they, they're just at that place where they're, they, they, just are, they, they don't even know how to respond to life any longer. A broken heart, in my observation, is usually the result of trauma caused by a relationship that was broken off or someone that was abusive in a relationship and cut somebody with their words or the death of a dear friend or a spouse. Under the sound of my voice today are men and women that I know are still wounded from the loss of their spouse who passed even into eternity and you're left on this side trying to, to pick up the pieces or a child uh, you know, fragmentation or, or the brokenness of your heart because not just the loss of a child physically, but the disappointment of a child or children as, as they age can rise up and become a sword that can just pierce somebody's heart, a parent's heart. And, and so a broken heart can, can occur when someone uses violent words continually uh, to speak to a spouse or a child uh, the con or the continual cutting that can pierce the heart and mind. And I've certainly seen relationships in the church where men and women have gone through the trauma of divorce, fragmented, and, and, and the, the leftover residue is not just the spouse sometimes. Sometimes it's the children. And most of the time, it includes the children. Are you hearing me today? And even the children's children from there. And so, listen, it's a difficult thing. And, and so, I just wanted you to be aware of it today. I wanted you to be aware that sometimes on Sunday morning, we, we may come in and we may be at a season in our life when, I mean, God is blessing us and we've got great joy and the favor of God's upon our family and our children. And just down the pew from us or just down the chair from us is somebody that if you could just look inwardly right there in their heart is just shattered and broken by the pain of the past and we're just looking today to find is there some answers in the word of God to help us now it is in my opinion oftentimes a very difficult thing to recover from 
And in my observation, each of us, but all of us here today, you've been on one side of this subject matter, one or the other. There's at least three sides. And that is, number one, you may be, you may be responsible for causing somebody's heart to break. I've seen men and women make poor decisions and leave the fragmentation of someone's heart as the aftermath. And then they just kind of continue their life. Listen, if you are guilty of having made decisions that broke somebody's heart, you need to repent before God. And then you need to repent towards the person whose decisions, the decisions that you made directly affected. Are y'all hearing me today? Number two on, that, on, on this where we're all connected, you may be here today and your life recently or not that long ago, you personally experienced it and you're still dealing with it to this day. And I know there are those, some of those under the sound of my voice. Or number three, you have attempted to encourage someone with a broken heart and your motive was pure, but your course of action may have not been right. I studied a book recently that was written by Dr. Kenneth Hawk, and he was is a Christian psychologist, and he had a different twist on a particular proverb. There's a proverb that says, that kind of warns us of singing songs to a heavy heart. In essence, the point that he's making is this right here. He's saying that everybody needs time to recover from trauma in life. And if you are fresh from that trauma, and I come to you with a part of Jesus' spirit, I can be just as dangerous to you. Come on. And so the proverb kind of warns us of not, we have to give people time to heal. We have to be, give people time to work this thing out, to work out a way to, to find the grace of God and to, to recover. And, and if, if even in our Christian zeal to see your life recover, if we come to you too quickly, we, can, we may say the wrong thing. He listed in his book, uh, don't sing songs to a heavy heart. He listed seven statements. So this is just kind of nutshell information, just a few thoughts, just just things that you, just little uh, thoughts that you can just put in the back of your mind so maybe will help you if you're ever in that moment where you're trying to help somebody recover from a very difficult situation and you know that their heart is fragmented over it. Num- uh, seven statements that we should strive to avoid is this one right here. Number one, I know how you feel. Now, I've been guilty of saying that. Many times when really I may not know how you feel. And especially there are some people who have gone through such trauma. I don't know that there's anybody other than God who knows exactly how you feel. A better way to say it is, I remember when I was going through a situation, I know how I felt. Number two is it's best for you. That's a difficult thing to hear when you just lost something that you valued. With somebody from a different position, and it may even be true, but let me tell you, that's not necessarily the right thing that we should say to people at that time. Number three is, uh, in his words, I don't use this language, but he said, keep a stiff upper lip. I don't speak that way, but he, in essence, was saying, toughen up. You can do it. Come on, you can, make your, you can make it through it right now, but when somebody's vulnerable right then, they cannot respond to that type of language. Number four, here's two words that, if you're not careful, can really actually hurt somebody who's in the process of recovering from a broken heart, and that is at least. At least, let's give you an example. Somebody, uh, well, let's take, um, I'm going to go and we'll bring up somebody in our church family that won't mind me borrowing from her, Sister Lorraine Davis. I don't see her here today, but... Uh, um, brother, um, 
Brother Paul and Lorraine celebrated over 60 years of marriage. Didn't know they made 70. 70, yeah. I mean, my language doesn't even think about that. My 70 years of marriage. And, you know, and then when he passed away, he, Brother Paul has passed away. Sister Lorraine is alive. And we can go to her and we can say, oh, Sister Lorraine, God gave you seven. At least God gave you 70 years. You need to be, yeah, but she's functioning in life without the person that was there with her for the last 70 years. And so our motive is pure, but it may not be the right thing. So guard yourself. Number five, uh, you, you should have or you shouldn't have. Maybe it's not the time for advice at that moment. You remember Job's friends, his comforters that came to him? Do you know when they were really true comforters? You know when they were? For seven days they sat beside him and they didn't say a word. Sometimes that's what somebody whose heart is fragmented needs from you. It's just to be there and not be the counsel or the advisor or the preacher at that particular moment. Come on, that's good right there. Number six, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Really? That scripture verse, and he made a great point about this because that scripture verse that people most often quote is misapplied because there are some things in this life that the enemy wants to put on you and the destructive nature of living on planet earth that wants to destroy you. That passage of scripture that they're quoting is in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where it says, God will not suffer you to be tempted above what you are able It's not talking about uh, trauma in life. It's talking about being tempted, drawn away, pulled away. We have the ability to resist temptation. With the temptation, God will make a way of escape. We can resist. But I'm telling you, there's some trauma that could come on you in this life that can destroy you if it were not for the help of God. Number seven, it is or it was God's will. I'm telling you, that's a very difficult thing. And we often have to be very careful of making that application or that judgment. Seven little thoughts that here the author, Kenneth Hawk, in his book, um, Don't Sing Songs to a Heavy Heart, warns us of statements to, that we have ten, a tendency to make towards people that are going through the process of brokenness. And our motive may be pure, but our words may actually do more harm than good. I wanted to just today for a moment, I don't know who I'm preaching here. I just know that this was outside of my comfort zone. It's not what I'm the most familiar, the method, the way, the means, the doctrine, everything is not necessarily something I'm most comfortable with. But I want to say this, I've just felt for many weeks now today in my prayer time that there are those among us that come through these doors on Sunday morning and they look all good on the outside, but inside they're still bleeding. Inside they're still wounded. Inside they're still crying out. They've got their job they're going through the motions they're trying to pick the pieces up on the external we smile we pat them on the back we say stand we say sit we say giving the offering we spend an hour and a half with you every day or every week and 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 then we think all all is well but while you go to bed at night there's pain pain that needs to be healed Come on, and that's what I, 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 one thing that I have found out that, that, that helps healing in my life is that I've said this before, and I, I, uh, biblical association, just finding somebody in the Word of God that's in a season or situation similar to mine kind of just helps me. 
And I hope it can help you because did you know in the scriptures there have been those that have suffered a broken heart and sometimes just maybe having that knowledge can help. You know, let me give you a couple examples real quickly. When, when Mary and Martha sent word to their dear friend Jesus that Lazarus, who was also a dear friend of Jesus, was dying and that if he would come, he could heal him. And he decided to take an extended vacation. And their brother, they watched their brother die right in front of their eyes. And so by the time that they arrived to Jesus, I mean, the exasperation and the pain and the struggle of their heart was, was revealed when they fell at his feet. And they said, Lord, if you had been here, our brother had not died. It helps me to contemplate of what perhaps Moses' mother felt like, Jochebed. When she took the goodly child that she had hidden from the Egyptians for three months and she put him in a bulrush basket, she had to have tears on her cheeks that day and her heart had to be being torn. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Being torn when she carried him to to the Nile River and put him in a basket and pushed him out into the hands of God. Her heart had to be wrenching inside her chest. And and certainly one that I, I always think about is Naomi. You remember Naomi. Naomi was the wife of Elimelech. And Naomi comes to us at a time living in the day in the land of Bethlehem when there was a famine, a prolonged famine. The, the word Bethlehem means house of bread, but there was no bread in the house. So Elimelech made a decision. He would take his wife Naomi and his two sons and he would go into the land of Moab to escape the famine. And she dwelt there for 10 years. And in the process of 10 years, she lost her husband. She lost her sons. She didn't have any way to make a living. And so she made up her mind she would go back to Bethlehem, the land of her nativity. And you know the story. I don't have time to preach it today. But Ruth journeys there with her. And when she came back to Bethlehem, everybody came out and they saw her. And they saw a broken woman. They saw the shell of the woman that had left. And when they talked to her, she said, please, she revealed the brokenness of her heart. She said, don't call me Naomi anymore because Naomi in Hebrew meant pleasantness. It was a pleasant time, a pleasant season. She said, but call me Mara because the Lord had dealt bitterly with me. What she was saying is my heart is broken. The last 10 years have been tough. I lost my husband. I lost my sons. I buried them in a foreign land. I don't have a home. I don't have a job. I don't have financial security. I don't have anything. I'm desperate, destitute, hurting, wounded, and broken. I am broken. And she revealed her heart, fragmented. Maybe that will help you to understand that somebody in the Word of God has sat where you have sat or in a similar situation. I always think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Do you remember the prophecy that Simeon made to her in the beginning of, uh, you know, I mean, she's there to dedicate this. He's, he's on his eighth day, and he's going to be dedicated, or the 40th day. I can't remember. I think it's the 40th day. 40th day, after the time of her cleansing, she's gone to the temple. Simeon takes the child from her arm. He's prophesying about this child. He's set for the rising and falling of Israel. And then this aged man of God turns to her and points right at her. And he says, and a sword will pierce your heart as well. When did that happen? 33 years later, when she stood with the other Mary and the other women and John at her side and her son. Come on, somebody. A sword. We think of that Roman soldier's sword that pierced Jesus' heart on the cross, but that same sword pierced Mary's heart as well. 
Some here today have had a similar experience. We can't talk about this without even just, we got to mention, I don't have a lot to tell you, and then we're going to wrap up in a few moments. But I, I, I don't want to take anything away from anybody's circumstance, but I don't know if anybody ever had a day like Job had. Come on. Job had 10 sons and daughters. He had wealth and resources. And in a matter of just a day and then a few short days, all of his children were tragically killed. All of his children, not one, but all of them tragically killed. All of his possessions, all of his livestock, all of his resources, all of his livelihood was totally instantly wiped away. You remember years ago when the Enron thing happened? And people lost all their retirement and they lost their resources. Well, put the, magnify that in Job's life. In one moment of time, he lost everything. And then when he's just trying to recover from that, he gets up in the morning and looks on his body and he's got boils all over his body from the top of his head to the, the Bible says the sole of his foot. He's got boils all over his body, and then he's trying to recover from it, and he, he, he's broken. He's sitting in sackcloth and ashes, and the Bible tells us, paints us a graphic picture. He is there with a pot shared of clay, and he's trying to find some relief by scraping the boils on his body, and here comes along his wife, who was probably the mother of those children, and she's, come on, she's broken too, and she says, Job, why don't you just curse God and let's just die? Let's just get out. Why don't we just curse God and die because life is no longer worth living? What about Joseph when his brother sold him into slavery? You remember the psalmist looked back on it. The psalmist did. said he wept. He cried. He begged his own brothers, please don't do this. And they sold him to Midianite traders. Or Jacob, when the word came back to him that his son had died, supposedly ravaged by a beast. Or what about Leah, who lived most of her life feeling unloved and second class? On and on and on and on the scriptures go to give you examples. Why are they there? Why, why are they there? God is gracious to us. He is so gracious to write these in the Word of God so that when we are at the loneliest point in our life and we think nobody can identify with us, God says, I got somebody. I've written down something, and if you'll just read it and study it, it'll help you. It'll help you start the process of healing in your life. Come on, somebody. It will because the Word of God speaks to us and promotes healing in our lives. Did you know Scripture promises us? Thank God for His Word today. Jojo said it earlier, John 1 and 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Thank God for the Word, church family. The Word speaks life to us and helps us. It's healing to all of our flesh. Look at these two verses of Scripture with me here today if we can. The first one is found in Psalm 34, the, eight, the 18th verse. 18th verse. I'm sorry. Pick it up if you can. But you can, I can read that one and you can bring the next one up. Psalm 34 and 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. Listen to what he said. The Lord is nigh. That means that God's been there all along. You say, well, I've been searching. No, he's there. He's there. He's there in every good grace that's ever come to your life, every good thing that you've got, everything that gives you hope and promise comes from the Father of lights. He's near to us, and he saves such as are of a contrite spirit. Psalm 147 and 3, to lead us into the final exhortation before I close, says this, as he heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. 
I'm telling you, there's only one that has the power to heal the brokenhearted. It's not a psychologist. It's not reading somebody else's book. It's not taking this tablet or this pill or going through this counseling session. All those things may be good, but let me tell you, the only one that can heal the brokenhearted is he, come on somebody, that loves you with an eternal love. Only God has the ability to take your fragmented, broken heart and somehow mold it back together and put it back together and give you a new hope and a new promise for tomorrow. Tomorrow. Only God. There are some, I mean, we have some gifted men in the church. We have to, some gifted uh, women in the church. We have counselors and we have listening ears and we have all those things that we want to be available and we want to be a help. But let me tell you, the healing comes from him. The healing comes from him. But you may ask and you may say, but pastor, how does God relate? He is divine and I am human. He is spirit and I am body. I am flesh. How does he know what I'm going through? It pleased the Father to be made like unto us. He saw the sorrow and the hurt and the brokenness of humanity. And 2,000 years ago, he shrouded himself with flesh and blood. He sent forth his son made of a woman, made just like we are, to go through the seasons, the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, all the pain, all the trauma. He knows what you're feeling because he felt what you felt. He came unto his own and his own received him not. He poured his soul out to people that turned their back on him and walked away but he found the, he found the grace of God to forgive them he's so gracious and kind that's why he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother that's why we come to him knowing there's mercy and grace to help in time of need. That's why he ever lives to make intercession for you right now. You think nobody's praying for me. Yes, somebody's praying for you. Even when the preacher forgot to pray for you. Even when the prayer chain forgot to put you on the list. There is a one in heaven today who's standing between God and your need and your situation and your fragmented heart. And he's speaking the word of God and the love of God and the blessing of God over you and he's patient, he's kind, and he's gracious, and he wants to pick you up. Come on, like a, like a shepherd would take a wounded sheep in his arms and carry you until you are strong and whole again. I don't know how long it will take. You say, Pastor, how long will it take? I don't know. I don't know. There's, there's no set time. But all I want to say to you when I give you three nuggets to this before I, I lead a prayer time, even though there's no set time, and it's different from everybody, it would be wrong for me to leave you where you're at and to just simply say the rest of your life, you have to live with a wound in your heart. I'm telling you, God can heal. Even the most difficult and traumatic of experiences, things that my mind cannot fathom, things that somebody... We, can't, we weren't there with you. I can't fathom the pain. I, don't, I can't fathom what they're going through in Paris right now. Are y'all hearing me today? I, I can't fathom these in my mind, but he can. He can. God can. So three things today, just real quickly, that I believe can help you find healing. What, when, when your time, when your season, whenever it is, we, we, we need to let you mourn. We need you at your time. We can't push you, but we still have to promote around you an environment for healing is number one i believe this all my heart you have to expose your heart to jesus 
If you're going to be healed, sometimes you got to just get it all out and just lay it before him. Sometimes you got to just learn to say, Lord, why am I trying to pretend? Why am I trying to act like? Why am I trying to, be, uh, you know, show this one thing? When on the God, you already know. So I have to expose who I am to Jesus. Why? Because when God sent Jesus into the earth, here's why you need to. is because there is something so marvelous about him. He was anointed in the midst of his brethren. There was something so gracious about Jesus that just being around him, I don't know what, I don't know how, but just being around him, the shadow of the past can be wiped away. The brokenness of the past can be wiped away with the promise because the day star has dawned and we're standing in his presence and and, and there is an anointing. God put a specific anointing on Jesus to do more than heal the sick, to do more than open blind eyes, to do more than to call Lazarus out of his grave. But God put an anointing upon Jesus to heal the broken in heart. He did. He anointed Jesus. And so if you've never exposed your, uh, your pain to Jesus, then God is waiting on you to do so because there is the source of your healing. Expose it to Jesus. He said this, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To close the service in a moment, Shane's going to lead us just a line from an old chorus. There is not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. He can heal all of our soul slash heart's diseases. Come on, somebody. Number two today, real quickly. I got to be careful with this. This is not applicable to everybody because certain situations was not created by somebody else's sin. But here, if you are the victim of somebody's sinful decisions. There's going to come a day in your life if you're going to ever find true healing, you got to have forgiveness in your heart because that bitterness and resentment will fester against whatever good thing God wants to do to heal your heart. And so you have to ask God. I hear people say all the time, well, so you got to forgive. I can't forgive. I don't know how to. I don't know how, how. I have to ask God for the grace to forgive. You're going to have to ask the Lord. God, you know my heart. You know I'm struggling with this thing. You know the anger and resentment. You know the bitterness that I feel and the trauma that I've gone through, God. And the preacher says I need to forgive or I won't be forgiven. Now, what you got to do is say, God, you got to help me because I can't do this of myself. I can't do this of myself. This pain was too deep. My anger is too strong. My resentment is too deep and, and, and too, I'm too embittered. But God, I know that through Christ, you can give me a grace to do things that I cannot do in and of myself. So in prayer, ask the Lord to give you the grace to do it. See, Jesus from the cross of Calvary prayed a prayer that many of us may have not been able on ourselves to pray, but he can give you the grace because from the cross, come on, when one thief at his side was railing accusations upon him and people on the ground that have been, responsib been responsible for hanging him there were mocking him, 
mocking him and his own blood was flowing from seven fountains, crown and hands. And are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Y'all know that? And he said these words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so if he could do that by his grace working in your life, he will give you an ability to do that what you cannot do in and of yourself. He will. Lastly today, number three. Jane, you could join me real quickly if you would. At some time, I don't know when, there is no hour, there is no sudden moment, date. Can't put this on the calendar. I wish we could. I wish we, I was thinking about that. There's a, a moment in, a, in uh, the movie Dances with Wolves when I think the, the, the Indian lady that had been ca- captured as a slave, she was a Caucasian but had been living as an Indian. Her name was Stands with Fist, and she had been mourning for her husband. And the medicine man came to, him after, came to her after a while and said, you will mourn no more. Now, if I could, I would just come to you and say, you will mourn no more. How many know it doesn't work that way? It doesn't work that way. I don't know the time. That's between you and God. I don't know how long you'll be in the valley of the shadow of death. For some, it's a quick passageway. But for others, it's much longer. That's between you and God. But at some time, you have to, if you're ever going to be healed of a broken heart, you have to believe that a brighter day will come. What are you saying, Pastor? There has to be hope. There has to be hope. Proverbs 13 and 12 says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. It will come if you'll trust God for it, if you'll ask Him for it. I believe that there has to come a moment in your life when you can say with the psalmist, Weeping may endure through the night. The night may be months. I don't know. It could be years. I don't know. Weeping may endure through the night. Weeping has endured through the night. But joy came in the morning. God healed the brokenness of my heart. It is not God's will for you to live, as I close today, with a broken heart. It is not God's will for you to continue with an unending season of brokenness. I'm not saying you don't need to be in that season. I'm just simply saying it is not God's will for you to live the rest of your life on planet earth with your heart fragmented. Does that make sense to y'all today? We all need time. We all need time to heal. But we must not get trapped. Sorrow can trap us. A broken heart can become like a festering wound. And you have to expose it to the right treatment to be healed now let me say this I don't want to dig up old bones I don't need a courtesy altar call I don't need you if you've been healed of something in the past in a moment's time when I give this invitation don't come down here to dig it up just to make me look you know feel like oh wow 17 people came forward no 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 if you're healed of that then press on thank God for it hallelujah thank the Lord that he was gracious and he brought you through it But if you're here today and you're honest, as everybody stands, as everybody stands, if you're honest today, say, Pastor, people are looking. I don't care. I don't care. 
All I'm going to ask you to do today is expose your heart to Jesus. That's all I'm going to ask. That's all I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you to be courageous enough to just simply come to the front of the church so I can just quickly come alongside of you and just pray with you a prayer today that God will begin a process of releasing grace in your heart to heal. I know it takes courage. I know it's difficult to do. I know in your mind is saying, no, no. But I'm going to tell you, it's the right thing to do today. It's the right thing to do. It could be the first step towards your healing. It could be. You're here today and you said, Pastor, to be honest, there's part of my heart that's still fragmented, broken, wounded. There's, I'm still suffering in, this, in, a, in an area that's private, private to me. I don't have to know. I just want to just connect with you in prayer. Then have the courage. I'm not going to ask you to bow your head. I'm not going to do all the things that we normally do. I'm just going to ask you to be courageous enough to just come to the front and just stand up here so that we as your church family can pray with you today in the name of Jesus. I feel the Lord's presence here today in a very special and genuine way. God is gracious. This is a confirmation to me that I was supposed to preach this message. Even when my head said don't, my heart said do it. Come on, Shane, if you'll just sing for just a moment of time. We'll go.